every good thing in my life was the result of strangers stepping up and supporting the organizations that ultimately went on to change my life. Welcome listeners to episode two of the new Center for Generosity podcast. I'm Mitzi Schaefer, a consultant with GSB Fundraising and your host for this first series of our time together. We're excited to have this series start today with this episode on donor first and how in the development world we can be donor first. So if you're a CEO or a board member or a development executive, someone who visits with donors, even a volunteer, we hope that you'll find information in this podcast to help inform your work and, and help you build and deepen relationships with your donors. That's what we mean by being donor first. Our goal for the Center for Generosity is to equip generosity leaders by tackling a single topic related to growing generosity with donors. Together, we're going to answer the three most critical questions for success related to that day's topic. And so during this first episode of our first six-week series, we're very excited that it's first, we have with us our GSB um, consultant, and his name is Janan Berberovic, and I've been practicing that. It's such a wonderful name. I want to make sure that I get it right. Um, but Janan, we are so excited to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Mitzi, for having me. I am honored that you invited me to be your very first guest. This will be fun. Yeah, it's so exciting. Mike um, Ward, our partner um, and the one who sort of envisioned the Center for Generosity has been talking about you for a while, but this is my first time meeting you. And so I'm, I am pumped to hear what all you have to say because he just speaks so highly of you. Um, but I want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are as well. Janan is committed to making lives better. He has the honor of serving Avera Health as Chief Philanthropy Officer. Inspired by a stranger's generosity, Janan was led to his life's work of philanthropy. Prior to his present appointment in March of 2020, he served Avera McKenna Hospital and the University Health Center as Executive Director of Foundation and Campaigns. Previously, he held increasingly responsible roles at his alma mater, the University of South Dakota, where he served as executive director for principal giving. His previous roles included assistant director of development, associate director of development, director of development, and principal gift officers, respectively. At Avira Health, Janan serves as the executive sponsor of philanthropy. He leads Avira's philanthropic agenda Together with the entire foundation team and thousands of benefactors, they make a difference in the lives of Avira's patients, residents, employees, and communities. Janan, that is a wonderful resume. We, um, we are so excited about the wealth of knowledge that you bring to the table for us and for our listeners today. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you, Mitzi. Yeah, so because this is our first episode, I want to just give our listeners a little taste of how this is going to work. So we want to not waste your time. 
quite frankly. Um, we know that time is valuable and that you have lots of donor relationships and conversations that you could be spending time with. And so we're hoping that while you're in the car or running or whatever it is you're doing when you listen to podcasts, that you're going to get answers to the three most critical questions related to that episode's topic. And so since today's topic is about relationships in development, um, we're going to get right to the very first question so that Janan can answer that for us. So first question, Janan, are you ready? I am ready. Awesome. So how can relationship-based giving elevate an organization's philanthropic capabilities and impact? That is a wonderful question, Mitzi. I will start off just by once again expressing my gratitude to you for um, having me. This will be so fun. I know that this is uh, that we'll spend uh, about 25 minutes together, but I want to make sure that those listeners if they're like me, they are probably listening on a run or on a walk with their dog or maybe while um, they're at the gym. And hopefully we can make sure that they have the inspiration um, to be able to do their work in meaningful ways. For me, as I think about the impact of um, relationship-based giving on organizations, I think it's of benefactors and constituents that I've had the honor of partnering with as they've made philanthropic decisions. Not only are organizations able to have a broader impact um, when they are able to engage their donors in meaningful ways, but I think that those donors in so many ways, um, uh, it, we provide them the opportunity to live out a passion of theirs or to become more intimately involved with our organizations and in doing so, we create ambassadors, ambassadors of our brand, ambassadors of our mission, and ambassadors of the people, the animals, or the organizations that we um, have the opportunity to serve and represent each day. And we can also, I know that special events are huge and have been big in the philanthropic sector for decades. But if we learned anything during COVID, the organizations that thrived were the ones that had relationships with their constituents or those that were willing to step outside and be willing to engage their donors in meaningful, in meaningful ways um, on Zoom or via video conference. And we saw that those organizations raised more dollars um, than those organizations that maybe continued to only rely on hybrid or virtual events during um, the 18 months that we um, fought and um, experienced a global pandemic. That is an excellent point. And I actually witnessed that myself um, in the organization that I was a part of during the pandemic. It's a relationship-based organization. And we just maintained that consistency with our relationships, with our um, donors, our alumni. Um, it's a camping organization. And um, giving increased substantially during that time because they understood the importance of being able to bring that back strong because they were ambassadors, just as you said. That's great. That's right. It is. It's our role to make sure that they remain engaged. And what better time to do that than during a time when people were at home and they wanted to um, reach out and extend their God-given gifts and their God-given talents to the causes and the missions that they cared about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Thanks for that, Janan. So question number two for our listeners, um, having a relationship-based model or process in our organizations clearly um, makes a difference. What are some tactics or how do we know as the development staff or as a board member or volunteer that the work that we're doing is actually relationship-based? Sure, wonderful question. Mitzi. So I, I often joke that I've grown up as a fundraiser. And I think part of that is because I came from direct response giving, um, where it was very quick relationship, get relationship development, and then inviting someone to commit a gift. And so during that time, I started to understand not only how does a donor join the organization, but then how can they move through that organization through really meaningful relationship-based work that leads them to committing gifts at the mid-level or major gift level, ultimately to a, um, a gift of their lifetime through their legacy um, as a planned gift one day. And so for um, me, um, I oftentimes, as I coach others or work directly with my team, um, we strive to spend about 70% of our week in relationship development work. So that includes um, phone calls. It includes visiting your donors, um, meeting them now in their homes for coffee at a restaurant. Virtual visits will continue to be part of um, philanthropy, I believe, for many, many years to come because we've all become accustomed to um, hopping on a video conference and really being able to have those meaningful conversations. What's key in relationship-based giving is that we can go out and visit 200 people, but are they the best 200 people for us to be visiting? And so being able to use moves management processes um, in our organizations, being able to use some of that um, prospect research, wealth management um, work that is so important in um, the work of philanthropy is key. And at the, end of, at the end of the day, we can visit one constituent 12 times, but are we moving the needle closer during those 12 visits to either engage them in our organization or to be able to provide them an invitation to commit a gift to the organization? So part of that means that you need to have um, relationship development plans for your constituents. So um, if I'm visiting with Mitzi Schaefer today, um, what is the next plan? Um, what's that next step in being able to engage her with our organization? Who are some of those key individuals at our organization? Maybe they are in um, mission services, or maybe they are in another area of the organization. Who are the other folks that are important for Mitzi to get to know so that she can become more part of our organization? And before you can address the opportunities for support or a case at your organization, it's important that you have um, some steps in place um, so that you can really map out that benefactor or constituent's journey with engaging with you and your organization. And oftentimes what we maybe as development or philanthropy professionals forget is what's the stewardship plan after that gift is committed? Is it fair to Mitzi and her family that they heard from us every single month for eight months until they made a commitment and then we vanished? 
what are those follow-up steps that lead you to um, that wow experience every step of the way? So what's some creative stewardship that can take place? What are some of those um, wow experience moments that allow your organization to become a top three philanthropic cause that that donor is um, in love with and that they care about? Janan, that is really power packed with information. Um, I really appreciate that. And actually, I want to make sure that our listeners know that on September the 7th, Jenny Smith, one of our GSB consultants, is going to join us to do a deeper dive into moves management. You lifted up a number of those components of that in the process of being relationship-based. And I do appreciate hearing, you know, it happens on the front end, but it also stays on the back end. And that is really what we mean when we talk about being donor first. That when we're donor first, we are caring for our donor in a way that we care for our clients or our students um, and giving them that same attention that it's not transactional. It's not a transaction that we're looking for. It is a long-term relationship. And so I hope our listeners will come back to hear Jenny's deeper dive into moves management. I think it's going to be really helpful for them. So the other thing I wanted to just lift up about your question number two, Janan, is that you said um, in your team, you talk about spending 70% of your time in direct relationship with donors. And um, I have sat with a lot of development folks who struggle with that percentage of time you know, the busyness of the administration or navigating staff relationships or thinking through all these other things that they have to do, kind of slide that scale the other direction. And so they're spending 30% of their time um, maybe with donors as opposed to 70% of their time with donors. I want to just ask an extra question in here on top of our three questions. Do you have some some tactics or um, thought process that you use to help keep grounded in that that goal with you and with yourself and with your staff? Absolutely, Mitzi. And I will be the first one to admit that uh, I am an extrovert naturally. I love people. And so for me, Um, It is not a challenge to look forward to picking up the phone and, as I often will say, smiling and dialing and making those phone calls or even sending those emails um, to be able to schedule visits. Um, The only way that you raise more dollars, um, sure, there's novel ideas and sometimes there's that one donor that can solve all of an organization's challenges. However, The only way to raise more dollars is to have more visits, which results in more engagement, which results in more giving opportunities or proposals, and ultimately that results in more closures. So philanthropy is not only a math game, but then it's also a relationship and that science or that art piece, excuse me. So we know that math is that science piece to our work and prospect research, but then the art is engaging that constituent, sitting in their living room, getting to know them. And very quickly, um, if you are able to focus your work to a portfolio that's manageable, which I would say is 75 to 100, 
Um, other organizations actually are following much smaller portfolio sizes than that. But that's one of those pieces that is most important and not overwhelming um, front-facing philanthropy staff. If you can provide them some manageable expectations that you can make sure they um, achieve in their first um, year at your organization, um, that is what will allow a philanthropy professionals to, professional to stick around. And as I've hired staff, we start really with month one goals and month two goals that we layer on so that within eight to 12 months, they are operating as a um, true um, relationship-based giving professional when they start to see that shift in 70% of their time being spent in donor or relationship engagement activities. That is excellent. Perfect. I love that answer. And I also love smiling and dialing. I have never heard that before. And that is fabulous. What uh, our listeners are all going to go home or, or go to their offices and pick up the phone and go, okay, I'm smiling and dialing. <laughs> um, that's really great. Okay. So you got into staff and that actually leads me into question number three for today about relationship-based fundraising. So re building relationships is tricky business. And you mentioned that you're an extrovert. I, our listeners may not believe it just from listening to me, but I'm actually an introvert. And so I, I do the smiling and dialing. I have to tell myself 10 seconds of courage um, before I pick up the phone every single time. And then once I'm on the call, I love it and I have a great time, but I also, I'm an introvert, but that doesn't mean I can't do the role, right? So my question number three for you is when you are looking for someone to be on your team, what are you looking for in a fundraising professional? That's a wonderful question. And it probably isn't the thing that goes to, uh, that comes to mind for most of our listeners, especially those who are hiring and um, serving and leading teams. But for me, what I look for is that passion. If someone has that passion for our organization and it just is there and we can spend time teaching them the technical pieces, the technical pieces of inviting someone to make a gift or structuring a um, gift proposal or drafting a gift proposal or any of the dozens of planned giving vehicles that sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking through or thinking about. Um, those are all wonderful, but those can be taught over time. And so if that passion is there, it's very easy for um, a benefactor to or a constituent um, to become engaged in the organization because that individual is able to pull them in and connect them to the organization through their genuine excitement for the things that happen. If it's a um, humanitarian cause or a human services organization, they share the passion for the experiences and the people that are served. If it's a health system, they are able to talk about the ways that that health organization is extending, enriching, and enhancing life. Or if it's a um, zoo or an animal welfare organization, they, they can talk about how those animals have a better life because of 
constituents who come alongside that organization and provide those gifts of love back to the causes. Yeah, um, I love that. And I'm, I'm actually thinking of my own experience here. It popped into my head when you were talking about the passion piece. Um, I got into, de- into development work by accident. My husband and I were starting this small church, um, like a mission church, and we were sharing a call. And uh, I went out to, you know, find, I was ready. It was We were ready for two roles, like two um, positions in our family after our kids were born. And um, I interviewed for a different job at, um, one, at a service, uh, human services organization. And the person who was interviewing me said, well, how do you, how do you pay for this church that you're trying to do? And I said, well, we, we go and talk to other people. We tell them the story and then they give us money. And he's like, oh, I think I have a different job I want you for. <laughs> so, um, so the passion is, is the key. And what that also means is for those of you who are listening, who are on the board or who are volunteers or who maybe aren't development staff, maybe your program staff, you also have that passion to share. And that also means that you can be a part of the development efforts in an organization, helping build that passion and getting people connected to the deeper um to the deeper community. And so sharing that passion is important. I um, I used to tell my staff at Epworth, you're all development officers because you're all part of the story. And so um, you're all building relationships. That's exactly right, Mitzi. And for me, I began working in philanthropy, in philanthropy because my life was changed Uh, several times. First, when my mom and I had the opportunity to move to the United States, um, I was born in Bosnia. Um, And then when I had the opportunity to attend college on a full tuition scholarship. So every, uh, every good thing in my life was the result of strangers stepping up and supporting the organizations that ultimately went on to change my life. That is beautiful. I'm so glad to know that. Thank you for sharing that with us. So um, friends listening um, in your car or on your run or wherever you happen to be, I hope that you have picked up some really good actionable tips and just some foundational pieces about what you can expect from the Center for Generosity from um, those of us who are going to be teaching and sharing our you know, thoughts and processes and successes and failures, quite frankly, um, along the way and what we've learned from those. We want to invite you back next week on Tuesday, the 31st. Mike Ward, a GSB partner, is actually going to be talking about donor acquisition, and we're really excited to have him. Janan, thank you so much for being here today, for taking the time. I know um, you are busy meeting and spending your 70% of time with your your donors and building those relationships, and we're really grateful that you took the time to share with us today. So thanks. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Mitzi. Absolutely. Okay, listeners. So um, just as a side, so that you are aware, the Center for Generosity officially opens to the public on September 1st. 
Um, we are an online database resource hub um, where you can build relationships with other development and nonprofit leaders, where you can have access to roundtable discussions and office hours with our consultants. You'll have um, access to accountability, focus, resources like documents and templates and videos that all include best practice um, for CEOs, development officers, volunteers, and board members. We are also going to be launching some special programs. So we invite you to visit centerforgenerosity.com right now. Um, right now you can subscribe and get on our list so that you know that, uh, that we're launching and when we launch. So um, you can be a part of that. And if you do subscribe in September when we open officially, you will get your first month for free. So um, check out centerforgenerosity.com. I'll post it in the show notes and um, you'll see Janan there um, along the way uh, now and again. And so we're really grateful to have him and all of our consultants sharing their knowledge with our community so that we can all grow philanthropy and generosity. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time.